divorce or uh, problems came into marriage is because of the curse. And if you uh, have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Genesis 3.16? And we, we realize that Adam and Eve, you know, God, you know, put them in the garden and everything was perfect. That they were to work it and they were to steward uh, the land as well as um, oversee all of the uh, animal life that was that God created. And he said, you know what, I've given you all of this to eat except for this one tree. And what was that? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they had everything, but they didn't have everything they thought they needed. And so they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be able to make their own decisions. And what did they do? They ate from the tree that God said you can't eat from. And their sin entered the world. But there were consequences and consequences to their relationship. And if you could go to the, uh, we'll have it up here, Genesis three sixteen, And this is... Um, the curse. And he said, and this is, then he said, which is God, and he said to the woman, which is Eve, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. So one of the results or consequences to the fall was painful childbirth for the woman. But he also, God also said this, and you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you. Can you see that when he says your desire will be to control your husband? And his desire is going to be to rule over you. Well, basically, that's a um, recipe for conflict, right? Right from the start, you knew that husband and wife were going to fight. Um, Diane Solly says this, Happy couples who stay together have the same number of conflicts as unhappy couples who get a divorce, right? And so when you were taking, a, when you would think about it, you think, okay, those who marriages split, it was because they have more problems or conflicts. But what she noticed is that there is no difference in the amount of conflicts that she said a happily married couple has and those who are struggling. And she goes on to say, what makes the difference is not the absence of conflict, but the ability or the inability to manage conflict. Because of the curse, husbands and wives, and for those of you who are single, who are looking forward to marriage, you need to uh, learn these things too. Because you will fight. You will fight. And most likely, when you take a look at these big blowouts, you know, they happen after you get married, right? Most big blowouts, unless you're ready to break up, don't happen prior to marriage. And why is that? Well, when you're dating, it's kind of like volunteer, right? It's like, okay, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm out of here. But when you make that commitment, oh, that changes everything. You know, I'm in this relationship. And sometimes you think, oh, my goodness, am I going to have to spend the next 20, 30 years, you know, in this relationship like this? And, come, you know, when you're dating, what you're doing? You're acting, right? You're acting, you know what your girlfriend wants. You know what your girlfriend likes. You know how your girlfriend or boyfriend wants to act, want you to act. And guess what? Hey, we get an Oscar for that. Because what's our goal? Our goal is marriage. And there's no way this person's going to marry me if, you know, I, I fight a lot. You know, if we get into these blowout, knockdown arguments, woo, we're not going to get married. So let's face it. What do we do? You know, we kind of act. And then all of a sudden we get married and, whoa, 
What happened to that person? You know, how come you're so different? You know, and we experience these things. So the question is, if marriage, if uh, argument or fighting is inevitable, you know, how can we fight good? Meaning, how could we have a good fight? I mean, there are bad fights and there are good fights. How do we find ways to resolve conflict? And let me ask you this question. Would you rather experience a marriage of comfort and remain immature in Christ? Or are you willing to be seasoned with suffering if by doing so you are conformed to the image of Christ? Throughout Scripture, God has always grown His children through difficulties and trials. You know, we heard this term, refiner's fire, where God takes metal, gold, and He heats it up. And all of the impurities rise to the top, and they skim it off. And then what happens when the gold starts cooling? Well, all of those impurities start sinking. And what do they have to do? They have to heat it up again. Well, that's what happens, and this is what God uses to grow us. You know, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, you have to be willing to suffer because he knows that it's through suffering that we grow spiritually. You know, in his book, Sacred Marriage, Gary Thomas writes, if there's one thing young engaged couples or even singles need to hear is that a good marriage is not something you find. It's something you work for. It takes struggle. You must crucify your selfishness. Don't run from struggles of marriage. Embrace them. Grow in them. Draw nearer to God because of them. Through them, you will reflect more of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And thank God he has placed you in a situation where your spirit can be perfected. How many of you feel like that? Well, you thank you, Lord, for this fight or these arguments or the struggles I'm having in marriage because it's through these struggles that you're going to perfect me. No, a lot of us think, oh, Lord, what did I do? Oh, Lord, why didn't you stop me? You know, that's what we're thinking. But what does Gary Thomas say? You know, when we struggle, these are perfect opportunities for God to grow us spiritually. So rather than run from your trials in marriage, embrace them. So how can we have rules of engagement to have a good fight? Okay, a good fight as opposed to a bad one or a destructive one. Um, if you have your Bibles, once again, could you turn with me to Ephesians 4.25? Now, the passage I'm talking about refers to all believers and the, how, you know, when we're changed, we're supposed to be new, that we're new creatures in Christ. And I get that. But for today's sermon, I want to apply that to marriage because I see there's a lot of um, commonalities or ways that, you know, are applications to this passage, which is to all of us, to marriage. So the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all one members, we are all members of one body. And so basically, what the principle here is be honest without lying. Okay, be truthful and honest with your spouse. And how do we lie? Well, we lie sometimes by outwardly lying. 
right? We lie by misrepresenting the truth. We lie by not telling the entire truth. And what is a lie? A lie is something we tell with the intent to what? Deceive. Deceive. That's what a lie is. So even if it's just a half-truth, if our goal is to deceive the other person, it's a lie. But then how do we exaggerate when we argue? We use the words never and always, don't you? And one of the things I suggest is you take the word never and always away from your vocabulary, especially when you argue, because never and always are always untrue and unhelpful. You want to tune out your spouse? Tell them, you always leave your clothes there, or you always do this without making decisions, without telling me. You want to tune out your spouse, do that. Because number one, what happens? Because as soon as you turn, uh, use the word always, especially for you women, our, you know, us guys start thinking, wait a second, I did it there, here, here, but I didn't do it here, and I didn't do it here. So it's not always. Therefore, you are wrong. I'm not even listening to you. Okay? You are not, a cr- this argument is not credible. So, you know, leave me alone. Um, So we look at it that way, or what it could do is it puts you on the defensive, right? If you want to engage somebody, if you want to erect a wall, if you want them to get ready to go like this, tell them you always do this or you never do that. That's the way we exaggerate, and that's, um, that's another way of lying, okay? We need to take the words always and never out of our vocabulary, But he also says that we are a member of one body. That as, you know, believers, we are to speak truthfully to one another because that's our brother or sister in Christ. But how much more so, you know, in our marriage where your wife, sometimes we forget that our spouse is a child of God, right? It's like, ah, you're my wife. Oh, you're my husband. And I'm going to talk to you the way I feel because, you know, I'm just angry, But we have to remember what? The Apostle Paul says that your spouse is a child of the living God. And so when we disrespect our spouse, we are not disrespecting our spouse. We are disrespecting a child of the living God. And God is not pleased when his children are being mistreated. And so we have to look at our spouse as a a son or daughter of the living God. And he goes on to say, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. So he's going to say, you know what? There are times you're going to get angry, right? And there are times where it's, anger is justified, where there's this righteous anger, where you get angry over, let's say, let's say poverty. You get angry over, um, you know, these girls and these women being sold as sex slaves and the sex trafficking. You get angry at that. You get angry at racism. You know, that's justifiable anger. But the anger that we're talking about here is anger that just seized inside you, that you refuse to let go, that's based upon selfishness because somebody did something to you that you thought that they shouldn't have. But he says, be angry, but do not sin. So what's the principle here? Be angry without sinning. Like I said, there are certain cases to be angry, but not when that anger leads to sin. 
Because unresolved anger is one of the most deadly enemies of relationships. Whether it's your friendships, whether it's your spouse, whether your boyfriend, girlfriend, co-workers, family members, unresolved anger is one of the most deadly enemies of relationships. And what does sin always lead to in Scripture? Sin always leads to death. You know, anger always leads to death. The death of peace, the death of harmony, the death of being in a loving relationship. Anger causes the death of something. Now, what is sinful anger? Well, these are bursts of temper. You know, and, you know when you just get angry. And for me, it was like, oh, man, when I'm doing this, I'm saying, Lord, I know this is going to happen to me this week. Because anger and patience is one of my Achilles heel. All right. And yesterday it happened. You know, my wife, you know, I'm so grateful. I love her. For Father's Day, she got us tickets to Mamma Mia at the East West Players. And man, it was great, honey. I just loved it because it was all the music of ABBA. And for those of you kids, you don't know who ABBA was. But if you're like my age, you know who ABBA is. And it was just a wonderful play. But we were getting there late and we went to the parking lot and the parking lot was full. And then I spied a spot that was open. So I gun my engine and I go all the way around so I could come in the proper way and get that parking. But what happened? Somebody come from the opposite direction in the direction that they weren't even supposed to be going. And what? They back around and they turn and they take my spot. It wasn't my spot. But here I was gunning the engine because I, I see that spot first. I claim that parking spot. It's mine. So I'm racing around and I got so angry. You know, it's like, uh-oh, am I going to ruin this evening? You know, because I got angry because somebody took my parking spot. You know, but fortunately, you know, it was a great play. You know, we just thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. But that was anger. That wasn't righteous anger. Ah, it was selfish anger. Somebody took my parking space. You know, that's, that, that's sinful anger. Or out of control rage. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody do that, but it's totally out of control, and it's scary where you're thinking, oh man, this person, he, he might hurt somebody, right? Out of con- control rage. Or if your desire, excuse me, if your anger um, leads to the de- desire to hurt someone, and it may not be physically, it may be emotionally. If that's your desire, then that anger is sinful. And he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Well, you are still angry. Now, this is a commandment, right? It's not a suggestion. And basically what he's saying is here, the principle here is to be reconciled without waiting. Be reconciled without waiting. Because some of us, right, especially those of us who don't like conflict, we were like, well, you know, what if, well, you know what, if we just forget about this, and maybe a day or two, it'll be over, right? It'll be over. But you know what Gary Smalley says? He says, unresolved anger never is buried alive, right? It doesn't die. And you think you bury it. You think it's dead, But it's alive and it's growing. And when we don't take care of unresolved conflicts soon, that anger, that just starts growing and growing and growing. And you may think that you're past it, but guess what? All it takes is one trigger, then 
you know, it comes out. And so what he was saying here is take care of anger without waiting. You know, and, you know, some people or couples have made the practice of not going to bed until the conflict is resolved. Well, that, that's okay if it's like a small conflict. But if you're in a deep conflict, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, you're just like, okay, you win. I give up. Let's go to sleep. I'm tired. You know, and that's not what he's saying here. Basically what he, and you know, that's a good practice to try to resolve conflict. But what the Apostle Paul here is saying is that don't wait. Okay, don't wait. Take care of the conflict um, now. And he's saying that um, by not doing this, we give the devil a foothold. You know, if you give Satan an inch, he'll take a mile, you know. And so what do we do? Well, number one, we have to have, find the right talk right time to talk about our conflict. Okay, wives or husbands, you know, if your spouse comes home from work and they're really angry, they're really tired, well, that's probably not the right time to talk about this, right? You would say, honey, I need to talk. And then the right response would be, okay, let's talk, but can we talk maybe three hours from now or what? But when you set that appointment, keep it, right? Or you have to find the proper place to talk about, you know, what's going on. You have to have the proper place to have a good fight. And being in public is not the proper place. Don't embarrass your spouse in public. One of the worst things you could do is argue or get a fight in public in church because what we want to see we want everybody to see how spiritual i am and how unspiritual my spouse is so maybe i'll get some help and so we embarrass our spouse in public by saying some disparaging remark about them all you're doing is you're adding gasoline to the fire. Man, I guarantee you, if your argument was at a level two, by embarrassing your spouse in public, you've just ratcheted it up to a level eight. Real quickly, don't embarrass your spouse in public. And when I mean by that, stay away from that cutting sarcasm. You know, we may not argue, but we throw these little jabs, right? These sarcastic jabs so others could hear about it, right? So they could get the same view of our spouse that we do, right? Or those snide looks, right? We all know that, right? When the spouse says something and the other spouse says, and it makes everyone feel very uncomfortable, right? But that's the same thing. Don't do it. The pub, uh, public arena is not the proper place to, have, to resolve conflict. So do not do it in public. Then he goes on to say in verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's interesting, R.C. Sproul, you know, one of my favorite teachers, says, uh, oh, I like listening to him. says, if somebody in the church comes up to you and says, you know, I have some constructive criticism. You know what he says to do? Turn around and run. Because <laughs> you know? he said 95% of criticism is not constructive. 
It's because somebody's angry at you for what you done. Now, of course, we all need to be, you know, um, told, you know, if we do something wrong. But it has to come out of a place of love and not out of a place of selfishness. But the principle that I see that we could learn from this verse is be open without hurting the other person. Be open, be honest, without hurting. Okay? If I was to ask you right now, think of the best five compliments that you ever got in your life. How many of you could think of five compliments? The best. But I, I guarantee you, if you can't think of one, they, they really impacted your life, right? Now, let's say I asked you the same thing. Um, think of five devastating criticisms that somebody told you. All of a sudden, you can think, okay, this. Why? Because criticism has a devastating effect on us, right? It cha- How many of us are still bearing the scars of a devastating criticism that was leveled, or, I mean, sent, that somebody told us that were maybe years or decades ago? We're still feeling that hurt, right? And yet, we can't recall the compliments when people give us. Did you know it takes nine heartfelt compliments to erase the effects of one hurtful criticism? Nine heartfelt. I mean, these are heartfelt. These aren't just, you know, you're just saying things to flatter somebody. No, these are heartfelt compliments. It takes nine of them to erase the effects of one hurtful criticism. Now think about it, spouses. How many times do you compliment your spouse? How many times do you criticize your spouse? Just think. For every one criticism, it takes nine compliments. And we rarely compliment our spouse, but we're always criticizing one another. So let's say it's just five today. Just five. Oh, I don't like the way that you, you dressed today. Or, you know what, how come you didn't do what I told you? Just five, just five today. Well, then that, you owe your spouse 49 heartfelt compliments. That's just today, right? How many of us, we have so many back payments due because we criticize, yet we don't compliment. But both have the ability to change our lives you know, like I said, a criticism devastates us, but a heartfelt compliment. You know, when, my, when Grace compliments me, boy, I tell you, woo! You know, I said, what else do you want, honey? You know, I'll fix this, I'll fix that, I, I'll go grocery shopping. You know, because, you know, when she compliments me, it, it builds my self-esteem. And, and she does that. And so when she compliments me, it changes everything. My whole outlook on marriage changed, you know? When you compliment. So I suggest, and you know, there's this one thing, principle in business, for those of you managers. It says, catch, if you want to change somebody's behavior, catch them doing something right. Because what do we always do? We always write them up for doing something wrong. But if you really want to change the behavior, catch them doing something right. Compliment them for right behavior. 
And I think that's the same thing in marriage. You know, criticizing your spouse really accomplishes nothing. All it does is build up walls and increases the antagonistic um, nature of your relationship. It doesn't do anything, really. Criticism is not helpful. If you want to change that relationship, do it through complimenting. Do it by, it says, what Paul says, communicate words that are helpful for building them up, not tearing them down. If you could just do that. If you could just say, you know what? The way I'm going to engage my spouse is I am going to try to build them up instead of tear them down. What a difference you'll see in the relationship. Because in Proverbs 18.14, it says, The human spirit can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. A human spirit can endure sickness. Now, we all understand that at one point that we're going to get sick, right? And and most couples could handle that, you know, because, you know, they said, well, okay, you know, if you get sick, you know, I, okay, it's my responsibility to take care of you. And we understand that. But what does it say? A crushed spirit who can bear. I could deal with physical sickness, but if you crush my spirit, I can't handle that. I can't deal with that. You know, this is, you know, I guess since this is, you know, confession time up here. You know, when I was growing up, I never saw my parents argue. You know, they never argued. And I guess they, you know, went through this, well, don't argue in front of the kids. And so when Grace and I, you know, got married, you know, we were different. We're different people, right? We have different personalities. We're both sinners. Arguments were going to happen. However, when we argued, instead of embracing it, I saw that as something terribly wrong with our marriage. And even when we were dating, you know, Grace was saying, I can't wait till we get into our first argument. And I'm just thinking, are you crazy? You know? But you know what? She was right. She was right. She goes, Dave, if we get married, we're going to argue. And we better learn how to argue now. You know, well, she could still say, well, I don't know if I want to marry this guy, you know. But that was, you know, a wise piece of wisdom. So when we did, um, you know, get married, I was st- at least I wasn't good at it. I was still learning because in my experience, arguing was bad. In my experience, that conflict was bad. And so I didn't know how to fight. So she was saying, no, Dave, you have to express yourself. So I would get mad. And, you know, instead of just saying this little thing, I would bring out a bazooka. And, and say, hey, so how's this? Is this good? You know, and I could just see the, her face. I totally devastated her. And I crushed her spirit. You know what? If you see that look on your spouse, you'll never want to do that again. You never want to crush your spouse's spirit. Yeah, you want to share what you're feeling. But always concentrate on the action and not the person. Keep your focus on the action and not the character of that person. Because when I brought out that bazooka, I wasn't going after that action. I was going after the character of grace. 
And what did it do? It just totally crushed the spirit. And so you don't want to crush the spirit. Finally, the uh, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, it's interesting that Paul was really writing this to the church. Right? And you think that now that you're believers, this is the way you should treat each other. And oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll treat my fellow believers this way. But when it comes to our spouses, we, we just, oof, this doesn't apply to them. Right? This applies to all the other believers out there, but ooh, not my spouse. You know, this needs to apply to our spouse too, where it says, yes, you are going to fight. All of us are sinful. We all have different experiences. We all have different temperaments. We all are going to cross that line at one point in the other in our fighting. However, what does it say? Forgive one another. So the last principle is be willing to ask for forgiveness and to forgive. Right? I want you to memorize this phrase. I'm sorry... You were right. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry you were right. Will you forgive me? Because I guarantee you, if you're coming into an argument and you're going, okay, I'm mad, we're going to have it out, and then I'll say, you're getting ready to list all of the things that your spouse did to tick you off, and you've got it down, you've got your arguments lined up, and you're saying, oh, I'm going to win this case. There's no way she's going to win this one. And so you're ready, and then all of a sudden, if Grace says, I'm sorry, you were right. Will you forgive me? It's like, And then I go, ah, you know, I had everything prepared. I was going to win this argument. But what does that do? That stops things in its tracks. And then when somebody says that to you, you know, that that takes your, your fight from an eight down to a one or a two, right? And then... You could have that talk, right? And then you could have that talk. So forgive and forget. Now, when I say forget, it doesn't mean that you forget that ever happened because we can't do that. But when I say forget, forget in the sense that you don't keep bringing up the past. If somebody says, I'm sorry, and you, will you forgive me, and you agree to forgive them, then guess what? The Bible says God remembers it no more and neither should we, right? You don't bring it up. You don't bring it up. You don't go, but remember you kept doing this. Hey, I said I'm sorry for that. You know, so don't keep bringing it up. When you forgive, you forget. However, if you're the one who asks for forgiveness, you need to make good on your word. You understand what I'm saying? If I go to my wife grace and said you know i'm really sorry for this will you forgive me and i'm not i'm going to try um through god's grace and power not to do this again i got to be accountable to that i can't just say that just to de-escalate a fight and have no intention of coming through on that because if i did then that's meaningless 
If you say that you're sorry and you ask for forgiveness and you ask God through his strength and power to help you from doing that again, even though there's a good chance that you might, you got to do your part in making sure that doesn't happen again. It can't just be words. You know, you know, Grace asked me, he goes, so how do you think, you know, people look in our marriage? You know, I said, well, you know what? One thing I hope that they see is that who we are in public is who we are at home. And yes, you know, we're not the perfect couple. We get in arguments. But one thing that I've noticed that when we talk through things, when we have the, to say, you know what, this is bothering me. Let's talk about it. It's in those moments when our relationship takes these big steps forward. And your relationship will never take these big steps forward if you don't talk about them. If you just pretend like an ostrich, bury your head, and just cross your fingers and pray to God that somehow it will just take care of itself, your relationship's not going to grow. And it's through those difficult times that I've seen my relationship with my wife grow. Well, I love her more today than I did when we were first got married. And why is that? Because we've been through the battles together. You know, we are committed to one another as husband and wife, right? But it's through those times where we were able to be honest with each other confront each other in that action and to say, you know what? I had no idea I was doing that. I'm going to try to change. That's how your relationships become stronger. It's not through comfortability. It's not through, hey, you know, we're a perfect couple. We're not having any problems. If that's your relationship, number one, it's a fake relationship. It's a fantasy land relationship, but it's a relationship that's not going to grow. Relationships only grow just like we do spiritually Through what? Through trials. And this is what God uses to grow us individually. And this is how God uses us to grow as a couple. And so, you know, we are going to fight. We are going to argue. But it's through God's grace and power that he uses those things to make us even closer. So the next time you argue or next time you um, are thinking about getting into an argument, just look at this as an opportunity for God to grow you closer as husband and wife. And what's the weekly challenge this week? Is I want you to read Ephesians 4, 25 to 32 daily. Okay? If you get into a conflict with your spouse, you know I, I, should, I put if there, but it could be if or when you get into a conflict with your spouse. Be honest. Don't exaggerate. Or don't embellish your responses. Right? Just to... Um, kind of back up what you're trying to say. Remember to build the other person up, not tear them down. This is huge. This is huge. Okay? And then be willing to ask for forgiveness and to forgive your spouse. This is our weekly challenge. But you know what? You know, if you do these things, you'll notice a difference in your relationship. Because for me, it was like I was always afraid to get into an argument with grace. Because I, in my mind, that's a bad thing. But, you know, it's through those conflicts that we have that our marriage is a lot stronger now. And I love her more because of I was able to share what I was able to share without being feeling like, you know, attacked or anything like that. And the same could be true in your marriage. That God is going to be using conflict to grow you closer to each other. So let's pray.
Father, we know that conflict is not pleasurable, whether it's in relationships or, or any other conflicts. But Father, we see in your word that you have used conflicts to help grow us spiritually. And that there's no way around that. That all of those we see in scripture who have grown spiritually have all been through the fire. And Father, I believe that's true of our marriages too. That the only way our marriages are going to be spiritually mature is for us to go through those fires. But Father, when we do go through those fires, I pray that we treat each one another as a son or the daughter of the living God. Father, that we stop trying to criticize and start to build up. Father, that we don't want to tear down that person, but we want to esteem and honor them. And Father, if there is a couple sitting here right now where there is a conflict, Father, I pray that you would give them the courage and Father, to take away their ego and take away their pride to say, I'm sorry. You are right. Will you forgive me? And Lord, I pray for the person who was offended, Father, that they would be obedient to your word and forgive their spouse. But Lord, we know that you want us to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, you use marriage to do this. And that ultimately marriage isn't to make us happy, but it's to make us holy. Where else can we learn to be more patient, more kind, more gentle, more loving than to be in a relationship where two people are committed to each other? But Father, we get on each other's nerves and so Lord I I pray that out of our struggles holiness comes that righteousness patience forgiveness, peace are the fruit of the conflicts that we have in our relationships with our spouse and thank you so much spirit that you give us the power to go through it and you give us the power, Father, to reconcile relationships We're on our own. We can't do that. So thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.